0: Good day, and welcome to episode six of the HSE podcast with me, Mick Ord. For today's podcast, we've got a lineup of guests who regular listeners will recognize from previous episodes, and we'll also be hearing from a special guest who hasn't appeared before. He's the director of the Chemicals Regulation Division of HSE, Richard Daniels. What we thought we'd do in this episode is go through each regime with the relevant experts and pick out some of the big themes and questions which have emerged from our discussions with companies since the transition period ended last year. So many of you have been logging on to the HSE website and getting in touch with us, as Richard will explain a bit later, and we thank you for that. Please continue to do so. So whichever branch of the chemicals industry you work in, If you have questions relating to the GB chemicals regulations, we hope we can cover it here and reassure you that A, you're not alone, and B, we are doing and will continue to do everything in our power to point you in the right direction. So, without further ado, the regimes we cover in this episode include biocides, pesticides, CLP, that's classification, labelling and packaging of chemicals, and REACH. That's the registration, evaluation, authorisation and restriction of chemicals. Our first expert today, Dr Nicola Gregg, is team leader for Biocide's operational policy in HSE's Chemicals Regulation Division. Hi again, Nicola. Hello, Mick. First query for you. I'm a small business that produces coatings and I have an application for a biocide product that I wish to register under Great Britain Biocide's Product Regulation, BPR. What format do I need to submit an application in?
1: Well, first of all, uh, it's worth pointing out that as HSE no longer has access to R4BP, the EU systems, they will need to submit their application directly to us in HSE using our new forms. And these forms are available for download from our website. So, they download the form, complete all the details, and email them back into us. And when we receive the form, we then send out a secure upload link. And it's into that that they submit all their information and data. Don't send the information and data in an email, wait for the secure link. So the sort of information that we would expect to see uploaded would be, for example, the active substance competent authority report, the product authorization report, summary of product characteristics, all terms that people will be familiar with, as well as all the supporting data. Now, for all those reports that I've just listed there, we've got new templates for these as well on our website. So we'd very much like applicants to use these new templates unless they've already got the information in the EU versions of those templates. So in other words, if they've already got it in the EU version, we don't expect them to repeat the process and fill out our templates. But for new applications, please do use our new templates. We also expect that they submit their data in Euclid, and we would prefer Euclid 6 If they have got data in older Euclid versions, submit them and we'll see if we can access them. And obviously, if we can't, then we'll get in touch and we'll work out how to move forward. Now, we do realise that some of the data that were submitted a long time ago might never have been in Euclid. And that's OK for resubmissions that we've talked about previously. But probably if we receive an application from an applicant and see no Euclid, our automatic response almost will be, where is your Euclid file? So you just need to explain that, well, you never had a Euclid file in the first place. And then there's one final thing, Mick, that I'd like to just highlight as well, that we do need active and product reference lists. So these reference lists for both of the active and the product applications must be on the GB Excel template. That's one area where we're not able to be flexible.
0: Okay. Another question. I produce wood preservative products and wish to have my product on the market in GB and Northern Ireland. What do I need to do?
1: Well, applications for Northern Ireland, just like the GB applications, will be made directly to HSE using our new forms, as I've just described, and using the same submission methods that I've just described. There is one exception, however. So that exception is if a company wants to apply for an EU union authorisation. So that would include Northern Ireland and union authorisations. These applications follow entirely the EU system. So the applications are made using R4BP. And HSE will have no involvement in the processing of union applications. We are still discussing some details with ECHA about mutual recognitions. And we can confirm that if a company applies to the EU and wants the product to be mutually recognised into Northern Ireland, they can do that via the what we call mutual recognition in sequence process. Now, it's not yet quite clear whether they can apply for mutual recognition in parallel into Northern Ireland. And when we have a clearer picture on that, we will be able to confirm one way or another. But mutual recognitions for Northern Ireland, again, are submitted directly to HSE. If I could, Mick, I'd like to expand a wee bit here to talk about the establishment rules, because it's a really important area that we're getting a lot of questions about. So companies must adhere to the GB and the EU BPR establishment rules. That means that for the GB market, the authorisation holder must be established in UK, but for the Northern Ireland market, they must be established in the EU or Northern Ireland. For the GB market, there's a one-year period of grace or transitional period That ends on the 31st of December this year for products already authorised. So if you've already got a product authorised, you've got one year to make sure that your authorisation holder is indeed established in the UK. If an application had already been submitted into the EU programme, but a decision wasn't made by the end of the transitional period, then companies would be resubmitting those applications to us and the establishment rule must be met by the time we're ready to authorise that product. Then the third option is if you're submitting a completely new application to us under the new GB rules, then the establishment rule must be met at the time of making the application. Just coming back to the Northern Ireland situation, The establishment rule should already be met now. So for products that are already authorised, that establishment rule should already be in place. We're aware that this has come as quite a surprise to some. So we're making no immediate plans to start revoking products where this obligation hasn't been met. But we are asking companies to get on with this and to get this in place as soon as possible. For meeting the establishment obligation in GB or Northern Ireland, companies may have to apply to us to make a change. And if companies are familiar with applying for change applications, that's exactly what they would do, again, using our new forms, as I just explained before. And then just one last thing. Sorry, this has been a very long answer. Companies can apply to HSE for authorisation in GB and Northern Ireland at the same time using the one application form if this route is relevant to both GB and Northern Ireland. So we hope that will be a bit of a saving where there's only one application needed rather than two separate ones.
0: Great. Thanks, Nicola. One more question for you. The active substance in my disinfectant product is due to renewal in the EU. Does HSE intend to conduct an independent review of active substances for biocides? And if so, will the EU BPR deadline date for all active substances to be reviewed by 2023 be the same as GB BPR? Right. Well, of course, GB is
1: outside of the EU review programme and we will be responsible for taking decisions on active substances nationally ourselves. So, we will set up and undertake our own review programme for existing active substances. The timelines for the GB active substance program haven't yet been decided. And we will consider these once we know the extent of the work for the GB review program. And we will know that once the resubmission deadlines have passed and these deadlines are the 31st of March and the 29th of June this year. So it's only after those dates that we will have a feel of the extent of the work and we'll start to consider prioritizing deadlines approaches, etc, etc. The good news is that in the meantime, Article 89 of GBBPR continues to apply and this allows via resubmission products containing active substances supported in the review programme to continue to be made available while the active substances are still under review.
0: Great, thanks Nicola. That was Dr. Nicola Gregg, who's team leader for Biocides Operational Policy in HSE's Chemicals Regulation Division. Andrea Catons is one of the team leaders and a regulatory scientist from the Chemicals Regulation Division, covering REACH, CLP, and PIC, that's Prior Informed Consent. Andrea, good to speak to you again. Thank you too, Mick. Email here. I'm a small business that imports chemical products from other countries. Will I have importer status obligations when importing substances into GB from the EU, EEA?
2: The simple answer is yes. GB-based companies will have importer obligations where they import substances or mixtures into Great Britain from the EU or from the EEA. For some companies, this could mean a significant change depending on what role they played in the EU to GB supply chains before the end of the transition period. So, for example, those that were previously considered to be GB-based distributors or downstream users, as they were supplied from companies within the EU or the EEA, will now be importers if these same supply arrangements continue. Such companies should ensure they're aware of the obligations placed on them as importers by the GB CLP regulation, and they should have sufficient competence to carry those duties out. I would just point out that supply of qualifying goods from Northern Ireland businesses to Great Britain will not be deemed
0: import under the terms of the Northern Ireland protocol, though. Thank you. Right, we've got another one for you here. I have multiple chemical products on the GB market which carry the same classification and labelling. Can I upload CLP notifications for these in bulk?
2: No, is a simple answer. At the moment, the notification form doesn't have a bulk upload facility. As such, any notifications do have to be submitted individually. However, we are looking at the development of the web form and the notification system as a whole and may make some changes to this in the future. It should, um, however, be noted that there, there are exemptions from the duty to notify under GBSCLP And this includes for substances that have been registered under REACH or which were notified to ECHA for inclusion in the classification labelling inventory before the end of the transition period. Full details about when the duty to notify applies in Great Britain and all of these exemptions is provided on our website. And I would urge anybody with the
0: duty to notify to look at these details. Thanks for that, Andrea. Another query now. My company has chemical products on the market in both Northern Ireland and Great Britain. Can I have both a GB and an EU address on the label to maintain common labelling across the UK?
2: Substances and mixtures placed on the market in Great Britain do have to be labelled in accordance with GB CLP and those placed on the market in Northern Ireland in accordance with EU CLP. Now, the the supplier details that are included on the label should meet their respective rules. That said, it can be acceptable to include the contact details for both the GB and an EU-based supplier on the label. Where this is appropriate, the additional address would have to be included as supplemental labelling information in accordance with the requirements of Article 25.3 of CLP. And in addition, the inclusion of the additional supplier's details mustn't cast doubt on the, the validity of the information required by Article 17 of CLP or make it more difficult to identify that information. The additional supplier should be part of the same supply chain and it would be expected that contacting that supplier would provide appropriate information on the chemical. Indeed, the supplier must be aware and willing to undertake that role. Ultimately, I'd say it must be clear to the user where to go for additional advice about the substance or mixture concerned and that the contact they go to is able to provide the advice and the information that's required.
0: Thanks for that, Andrea. Another one now. I've already submitted a REACH registration for my product. Do I still need to make a CLP notification? No.
2: As I mentioned earlier, if a substance is registered under REACH, there is no requirement to submit a separate CLP notification also. As I again noted earlier, there are other exemptions from the required to notify in Great Britain, and I would urge all potential notifiers to consider the guidance provided on our website if they haven't already done so.
0: All right, Andrea. Brilliant. Thank you very much. With me now is Rachel Brown, who's working on the Biocides and Pesticides Transformation Programme. Hi, Rachel. Hello there, Mick. I've got a query for you here. My company is the authorisation holder for multiple fungicidal active substances. I understand that for renewal of active substances in the short term, only an administrative application will be needed. When will the full dossier be required for submission in GB?
3: So the GB legislation requires that the supplementary dossier should be submitted 30 months before the expiry of the approval of the active substance. So this is exactly the same as previously when we followed the EU legislation. However, we're going to seek to minimise the action required to meet this legislative requirement and we'll provide some further information soon.
0: In circumstances where an EU maximum residue level, that's an MRL, comes into force, which is higher than the current GB MRL, will there be put in place a fast-track mechanism that will permit the GB MRL to be increased to match the increased EU MRL?
3: So there is no fast-track mechanism for adopting an MRL from another jurisdiction as a GB MRL, and that includes from the EU. There's now an independent GB regime for the regulation of pesticides, and we'll be delivering our own decisions in GB. So that means a specific application will need to be submitted to HSE to support a new MRL or an import tolerance. If an application is submitted, the standard processing times will apply to the evaluation. And that's a 12 month processing time with an additional six months allowed to provide any additional information. However, HSE will take into account assessments made in other jurisdictions as part of our independent decision making process. So where an MRL is supported by an extrapolation based on data already evaluated, HSC will try to assess the applications in a shorter time frame. But it's important to note that if the MRL is related to a new product authorisation, then the MRL can only be implemented once the authorisation has been granted. And for import tolerance applications, a proof of authorisation in the third country will also need to be provided.
0: I have a product which has authorised uses on crops to protect against weeds, herbicide, both in Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Is it possible to submit only one draft registration report, a DRR in other words, for GB and Northern Ireland, a core dossier and specific UK addenda?
3: Where a product can be authorised to the same regulatory standards in both GB and NI, a common DRR may be submitted and that should enable the product to be authorised in both GB and NI. However, where the regulatory standards have diverged between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, for example, if an active substance has been renewed in the EU and is applicable in NI, but not in GB, then there may be different requirements that need to be
0: met. And where this is the case, different submissions will be required. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Before we hear from our next expert, I need to define a term used in the first question to him, grandfathering. Grandfathering allows you to have continued access to the UK market. It's where the relevant EU REACH registrations have been recognised under UK REACH. Alan Williams is the lead for external comms and stakeholder engagement in the DEFRA and chemicals team. Hi, Alan. Good to see you again. Good afternoon, Mick. Thank you for much Dave. The first question for you is coming up now. We are a GB importer of an EU REACH registered substance. Our EU supplier and EU REACH registration holder wants to grandfather the registration to UK REACH. Can this be done? If so, how? And when does this need to be completed by? Thank you very much indeed for the question, Mick. I should clarify, it is not
4: possible for EU-based legal entities to have their EU registrations recognised under UK REACH. So in the situation you described, if you'd been importing the substance covered by the EU REACH registrations in the two years before the end of the implementation period, then it could be possible for you to use the downstream user import notification, colloquially known as a doing, that would allow you to suspend the registration duty for up to six years. UK REACH only applies in the UK, therefore legal entities based in the EU and EEA can have no obligations under this regime. The grandfathering traditional provision is only available to... GB-based holders of EU REACH registrations, including GB-based manufacturers and importers, GB-based only representatives, ORs, as they're also known, and GB-based legal entities that held an EU REACH registration and transferred it to an EU-based legal entity at any point after 29th of March 2017, which is, of course, the date the UK notified its intention to leave the EU and before the end of the transition period. If a GB based legal entity transferred their EU REACH registration to another GB based legal entity, only the GB based legal entity to whom the registration was transferred will be entitled to have that registration recognised under UK REACH. The grandfathering provision is available until 120 days after the end of the transition period, and the process will need to be completed by 30th of April 2021.
0: Well, thanks for that, Alan. Another query now. I'm a small company which has multiple products which require reach notifications. Can multiple notifications be made or does each one have to be done separately? And can this be done using Euclid files? It's a fair question. So within 300 days of the end of the transition period, you need to use the Comply
4: UK Reach service to indicate you're an existing downstream user or distributor. It's at this point your UK Reach downstream user import notification number, the jury and I mentioned earlier, that will be issued to you. This only needs to be done once per legal entity and covers all substances that you wish to continue importing from the EU. You then need to populate the additional information spreadsheet template with information about the substances that you wish to continue importing. It should be noted that some information only has to be included if it is available to you. This spreadsheet should list individually all of the substances that you wish to continue importing from the EU, one per line. Where a substance is included in the spreadsheet, it must contain at least one of the following identifiers the substance name, the CAS number, or the EC number. After that, you should send the completed spreadsheet to the agency at ukreach.dunotification at hse.gov.uk. You should include your legal entity name and downstream user import notification number in the subject line of the email. It may be easy to fill some of the information requirements by attaching a safety data sheet to the email. Rather than including it in the spreadsheet. For example, the Article 10A, uh, Part 4 information pertaining to classification. Where an SDS for a substance is attached to the email along with the spreadsheet, the spreadsheet must also list that substance. To return to another part of your question, there is no IUCLID template for doings, and we are not accepting IUCLID files for the substances.
0: Right. Final question for you, Alan. My company predominantly produces polymers. What is the stance on polymers under REACH, and are polymers exempt from REACH?
4: Okay, it's a great question. So the exemption to the registration of polymers, which applies under Article 2, Part 9 of REACH, has been carried over into UK REACH. However, the monomers of other substances that form parts of the polymer are subject to registration and would need to be registered. All GB-based registrations that exist at the end of the transition period and all registrations held by GBNCs at any point since 29th of March 2017 have been grandfathered. If the monomers and other reactants are supplied to you from within GB, then the registration duty will be higher in your supply chain. If you import the monomers or other reactants, then
0: you may need to submit a registration or a doing. Great, Alan. Thanks for that. Our guest now is the director of the Chemicals Regulation Division in HSC, Richard
5: Daniels. Hi, Richard. Hi, Mick, and it's great to speak to you today.
0: Now, Richard, can you just give our listeners a quick introduction? What is the nature of your job? What do you do?
5: Sure. So I've been Director of Chemical Regulations Division now since the 9th of March 2020. So it's been a really busy year for me. I've got responsibility for all of the activities in the division and the regimes to make sure that it operates perfectly well. And that include preparing for the situation we're in now. Just by way of background, I joined HSE in 1992 as a factory inspector when I finished my PhD at Manchester University. And I've done lots of things in HSE. And before joining the division, I was actually, I had the privilege to be Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Explosives and heading up our National Explosives Unit. So quite a different job now. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Now, do you have any reflections on how things have been going since the 1st of January?
5: From my perspective, I think things have been going really well. If I reflect back on what we've got in place and what we've achieved, we have an independent regulatory framework now for Great Britain for chemicals that's up and running and it's fit for purpose. That's been a lot of hard work by people in the division and, and with colleagues across the piece. And that independent system mirrors what people were used to when we were part of the EU Some of the EU functions have been taken out because they no longer apply in in our context, but that means we've got immediate continuity for businesses on leaving, which was really important for us. The Northern Ireland Protocol means Northern Ireland will continue to follow the EU chemical regulations, and HSC is close to finalising agreements to support Northern Ireland so we can do their functions on their behalf. And We've actually agreed uh, revised arrangements with Scotland and Wales. So those are all in place now to support all of the devolved administrations. In terms of support to business, we've put help desks in place for all of the regimes and we support the National Telephone Helpline. And for the first two months, we've dealt with over 1,400 contacts across all the regimes. We've also supplied and updated much of our web guidance on the new regimes that apply from the 1st of January. And you may be interested, we've had over 390,000 views of the website in the first two months, which I think is incredible. In terms of our e-bulletins and promoting that guidance, that currently goes out to 240,000 stakeholders. The podcasts people are listening to now, we've got over 2,300 subscriptions, and we delivered a number of seminars with DEFRA and joint events to get them ready for 1st of January, and that reached over 1,750 businesses. They're available on HSE's YouTube channel if people didn't take part of them. And over half of those actually hadn't attended any previous involvement with HSE, so we got great penetration into new businesses. And lastly, we have recruited, we've filled over 110 posts in our new division in terms of the setup, and we've got plans to recruit even further. So I think, Mick, you know, we've done a lot and it's operating well.
0: Impressive. Well, could you outline any immediate priorities and plans for the medium to longer term?
5: Thanks, Mick. And uh, I think it is important you know, to take a step back. We've had a lot of immediate activity, but at the heart of what we're about as a division, And where as a director, I want to take us, you know, at heart of everything we do is about protecting people and protecting the environment through the safe and effective use of chemicals, supporting a sustainable future. So that's what I really want to embed. We are about protection and support in the future growth. Now, where I want to get to is actually HSE, you know, we act as a globally respected competent authority that supports the UK to prosper particularly in a post-Brexit environment, through science-led regulation in the effective and safe use of chemicals and associated technology. So I'm aiming for us to be one of the best, if not the best in the world, supporting what the UK needs. What does that mean in practice? Well, we need to ensure that HSE delivers our chemical regulation effectively in that independent UK environment. I'm really keen on improving the services to both UK businesses and the public. I want to, where I can, drive down the costs of our regulatory delivery, so what businesses have to pay to get the necessary approvals. I want to, where I can, speed up the time it takes to issue our permissions to business. I want to make sure that we have world-class scientific and regulatory chemical expertise underpinning everything we do. And I want to make sure that HSE on behalf of the UK, we are engaging and influencing on the global stage in terms of chemical regulatory regimes, because many of our businesses don't just operate in the UK, they operate internationally. And I think it's important that we are there to help and facilitate that trade. In terms of communication and part of the podcast, I want to make sure That all of our guidance is clear and that we do respond to businesses' needs and we keep updating that. And I want to make sure that we are visible to our stakeholders, to businesses, et cetera, particularly small businesses and those that are operating in the research or innovation environment, to make sure that as a regulator, we're visible to them, we understand their needs, and we are building for the future. And podcasts like this, we may well do more in the future. So I really would encourage people to watch this space and sign up to our bulletins.
0: I was wondering whether you have any take home key messages for those who've listened to these podcasts?
5: Sure. Well, I think, firstly, and hope it's coming across, that on behalf of HSE, I'd like to say that we are fully committed to our fundamental mission about protecting people and the environment and about improving the way that we do our regulation and how we provide those protections. And just to reassure people at this time, HSC as a regulator, I believe we have a very good track record of being a modern, proportionate regulator. And where necessary, we do operate with a degree of pragmatism. And we have got lots of experience in delivering new services and regimes. So whilst it may take us to get a little while on where I want to get the division, bear with us, really... It's about being the best we can to support businesses, but protecting people in the environment. In terms of other take-home key messages, I would just like to thank people for engaging and working with HSC during the past year. And for example, listening to these podcasts. We really do value the feedback and input that we've had. And we look very much forward to working with people as we develop going forward. The UK government is looking about future chemical strategy as part of the 25-year environment plan, and we will play a part in that. And I think at the heart of what we do now, that independent regulatory decision-making in the GB chemicals regime will allow HSE to regulate in a way that suits our economy. So we'll continue to support businesses. We'll continue to provide guidance through the website, e-bulletins, our help desks at stakeholder events. I would really encourage people to engage with us, give us feedback, and keep an eye for future podcasts if we run them. Sign up to our bulletin services because we're there to help and support you.
0: Great. Thanks, Richard. That was Richard Daniels, the Director of the Chemicals Regulation Division in HSE. Thanks, Mick. to all our guests in today's podcast. That's Nicola Gregg, Rachel Brown, Andrea Cadens, Alan Williams and Richard Daniels. Remember to log on to the HSE website for more information. And if you still need some guidance, then contact the help desks which cover all the regimes. And we'll get back to you as soon as possible. The email addresses are included in the notes accompanying the podcast. And of course, on our website, that's www hse.gov.uk. Thanks for listening and we wish you a happy and successful year.